You know the scene. It's not a clean cross like the one you see at the front here tonight. There's blood running down it. There's a stench of death in the air. In that scene, then, there were people that gathered around. There were criminals, those that had spent time in the county jail or the state pen. There were those who came from the shops, the husbands and the wives as they gathered together. There were the government employees that were simply doing their job on that day. And then there were the religious that were gathered together, the, the clergy and those that knew the Bible. And as they gathered around, then there was at a certain time from the cross, an emotional cry went out, Father, Forgive the people. Forgive the people. They don't know their sin. They don't know their sin. They don't know their sin as they gathered around the cross that day. The government employees, the husbands and the wives... Do you know your sin as you gather at the cross tonight? Very significant question. If you do name it, I'm not talking about some sin from 20 years ago or 10 years ago, but how about this week or today? Good Friday is about recognizing the sin that we bring that cost Jesus his life on the cross. Jesus told a story just a few chapters before the scripture that we're looking at tonight. Bear with me as I adapt it just a little bit. He said there were two that were going to the Good Friday service at the E-Free Church in town. One of them, as they were coming to the place, they were so excited, they said, I'm going to see so many people, it's going to be a crowd, it's going to be wonderful. There's going to be good singing and music and we'll have a little scripture and we'll have some prayer. Oh, Lord, thank you that I'm not like her or him. You remember the story of him? I remember him in high school. Remember that picture that was in the paper when they caught him? Remember the girlfriend, what she had to do going to Omaha. And thank you that I'm not like them. This Jesus' story, not mine, at a Good Friday service. And then there was another at that Good Friday service that came in late because they really didn't want anyone to see that they were there. They sat in the shadows of the back row where maybe no one would notice that they were there. And as they were in the back row, they, they cried out in a different kind of way, have mercy on me. I know my sin and I bring it to the Good Friday service. Have mercy on me. And Jesus said, there's only one that left the Good Friday service that night forgiven. The one that knew their sin. Do you know your sin? As you come to the cross, name it. 
If you don't name it, you're going to leave this place and you'll hear a preacher and a preacher and a song and a song and take a little juice and a little bread, but nothing will change. It's so much easier to see the sin of someone else. A wife saying, I know the sin of my husband. A husband saying, yeah, and you grin over there because it's pretty true, isn't it? I know his sin. Or a wife's a husband saying, I know the sin of my wife. She's a bear sometimes to live with. It's not about your wife being a bear. Those of you with teens, I know the sin of my teens. They're not coming home and, and they're not doing what I tell them. It's not about what your teens are doing. It's not about your husband or your wife. Do you know your sin as you come to this place tonight? You know the sin of those you work with. How about this, your family? You want to know how many families are represented in this congregation tonight that aren't sure how the family get-together is going to go Easter Sunday because they don't get along with each other? In this group tonight, it's because Christians that come and celebrate and sing and pray and all those kinds of things have still not addressed their own sin. Lord, have mercy on me. Say that. Forgive my sin. Do you know your sin? As you come to this place tonight to the cross, then name it. Name it. One of the criminals who were hanged, railed him at him, saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we have received the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me. When you come into your kingdom, and in verse 43 of chapter, chapter 23 in Luke, Jesus talking, and he said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. You know, in contrast to Jesus' first statement from the cross that we just heard about people not knowing what they do. This man knew exactly what he had done. There was probably a sign above him, this thief on the cross, there was probably a sign that listed all of his crimes for everybody to see, justly condemned for his deeds. A hopeless situation, no light at the end of the tunnel. And many of us have felt the same thing. Maybe you feeling that right now. Hopelessness. Your sin and your brokenness are more than obvious to you. The relational gap, the chasm between you and God, too wide and too deep to cross. Maybe you've said, I've failed too much. My sin is too great. There's no hope for me. 
You can picture yourself hanging next to Jesus like the thief, justly condemned for what you've done. And then like the thief on the cross, you hear the voice of Jesus. Truly, I say to you, today you'll be with me in paradise. The, the, the New King James Version says, assuredly. I like that. I like Jesus looking at the thief next to him, hanging on the cross, and he says, assuredly. I, I assure you, today you'll be with me in paradise. And then all of a sudden there's hope. In the midst of all of the hopelessness, the hanging on the cross, the, there's no more hope. And all of a sudden, in that moment, there was hope. Not because of anything you had done. Not because of your performance. But because of his. <laughs> because of his death on the cross. It's what Jesus does. He, he gives hope. He gives hope for the hopeless. There's hope right up until the last possible moment. I love that about Jesus. It's, uh, it's this moment, the thief on the cross hanging next to Jesus, it's this moment that was the epitome of grace. He didn't do anything to deserve it. He, he didn't perform well at all. The reason why he was on the cross was because of his poor performance. The epitome of grace. And, and I look at this story, and you know, the interesting thing is that this is the only deathbed conversion that we see in Scripture. And I think it's brilliant the way God did it. And this is, well, this is why. Because it's the exception so that we wouldn't be without hope. That there's still hope until the very end. But guess what? It's also the exception so that we wouldn't wait until the end. That's a big deal. It's a huge deal. Because he doesn't just want your last moment here on earth. He wants a lifetime of moments. Jesus says to the thief, today you will be with me in paradise. When he said that, what he was doing, he was restoring closeness. He was restoring relationship. He wants us to be with him. It's beautiful that there's hope right up until the last possible moment. I love that. But the truth is that he doesn't want you to wait. He wants your heart. He wants relationship. It was noon. 12 o'clock in the afternoon and darkness fell upon the earth. All the way until 3 o'clock. Picture it with me. The dark of night falling in the middle of day. What would it stir in your heart, right? What would it say about the man that you knew that was hanging on the cross outside of the city walls? What would it say to you? Because when I look at the darkness that fell that day for those three hours, I think we all have to say today that the darkness represented something. It might have been a physical darkness, but it was also representing a spiritual darkness. It represented our spiritual darkness. The very darkness that Stan talked about, about the sin, the sin of man. As darkness fell. You could almost sense it in our heart today. That as darkness physically fell, you have to also be looking at the darkness in our own heart. 
We have to go to that place today. And it was at the darkest of the darkest moments of the crucifixion that the Bible says, suddenly, at the darkest moment, when the filth of humanity had built up in the eyes of a mighty, powerful, holy, righteous God, suddenly something broke at that moment. Suddenly man was shown the greatest sign of compassion that he had ever experienced in all of humanity. The Son of God hanging on the cross for all of the world to experience his grace. Suddenly, suddenly man had a way for his sins to be forgiven where he had never had that before in all of humanity. And today we sit here today. We sit here right now with the, with the great experience of God's compassion and with also the, the opportunity for our sins to be forgiven because of the death of Jesus on the cross. It was all suddenly, suddenly, the entire mission of Christ, it climaxed. It climaxed at one moment and the work of Jesus on the earth was finished. Hundreds and thousands of years since the days of Moses, only one man was able to enter the Holy of Holies. This curtain stood between the holy place, the outer court, and the Holy of Holies. God's Spirit dwelt there. The Ark of the Covenant resided there. Since the days of Moses, this is the way man worshipped God. Man knew that God's Spirit dwelt in that place, and God did something amazing that day. Men had died in the past because they had abused the authority of God's, God's spirit and of God's presence in the Holy of Holies. But God did something suddenly that day that no other man could do. He ripped the curtain from the top to the very bottom. Suddenly, God made a demonstration to all of humanity that you better prepare yourself because you now stand face to face with God's spirit. Yes, you yeah, right now, you and me, we stand face to face with God's spirit. And it is a good thing. Because Romans chapter 8 says this to you and to me and all of you that are worshiping with us in the North, the North Auditorium. God says to all of us, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. That's no ordinary spirit. This is no ordinary thing that man should just be dabbling with. This is not about religion. This is not about singing songs. This is not about a day that we call Good Friday. The same very spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of each and every one of you. How powerful does God want his church to be? How alive does he want his church to be? What type of authority does he want his church to carry? What kind of compassion do you think he wants his church to display to the world? How are we supposed to be a part of reaching our hands out and inviting the lost to come in to experience the same forgiveness? I would say to you, no man, no man in any of his authority ever killed the Son of God. God did it. Oh, man may have thought he did it. Because man may be the one who put the nails there. But God did it. God did it so that you and me might have a relationship with him. God tore the curtain from the top to the bottom because in the Jewish culture, men, they would rip their clothes at the death of a son or a daughter. That's part of the custom. And God ripping the curtain is God expressing his amazing love for his son, but also showing the way for us to have relationship with him. Do you have relationship with Christ today?
When that curtain was ripped and at the darkest of the darkest moment, Jesus knew my mission on this earth was complete. So Jesus, in all the pain and in all the suffering that a cross would bear with nails through his feet and nails through his hands, he pushed up with one last breath as his heart was failing him to say these last words, Father, I now entrust my spirit into your hands. And with that one sentence, he screams so many things to us today. Father, you are my dad. In you, I live so that you might be pleased. Then all of this out of obedience to you. Oh, humanity is going to reap something amazing. They're going to reap grace and forgiveness and relationship, but I did it all. Out of obedience to you, Father. Do you call him Father today? Do you have that kind of closeness with him? Because that's why Jesus gave his life on the cross. If you're not experiencing that closeness, by all means, seize the opportunity because the price was paid for you. I now, he says, entrust my spirit. Oh, that's a powerful statement. I now entrust my spirit. Why is that so powerful? Because Jesus didn't give up on life. He surrendered his life to God's will. I would say to you today that no man took the life of Jesus, but he willingly surrendered his life for the salvation of man. Amen? He willingly did it. I see Jesus climbing up onto the cross, stretching his hands out. When the Roman soldiers would have to stretch the arm of the criminal out because the criminal didn't want to experience the pain, Jesus was like, bring the pain on because there's going to be incredible gain. I see Jesus not running from, not pulling himself back, but I see Jesus going, put me on the cross that God's will would be done because I've got last words. Into your hands. Into your hands. I trust my spirit into your hands. Into the hands of a powerful, loving, compassionate, mighty God, right? The picture of God's hands is the presence of God. I mean, come on. Have you ever sung the song? He's got the whole world in his Okay, okay, some of you guys should probably not sing. I was just hearing some things, you know, I'm just saying, just being real. But yeah, he's got the whole world in his hands. The Bible tells us that God holds, holds the universe in his hands. <laughs> That's way, way bigger just for some of you non-science people than the world. The universe, he holds it in his hands. Today, as we reflect on the death of Jesus on the cross, put your life in God's hands. Put your faith in God's hands. Put your marriage in God's hands. Put your children in God's hands. You can put your finances and your health in God's hands. And I would encourage you today, young people, put your future in God's hands. Because the hands of God are bigger than what you're facing, right? The hands of God, they're more compassionate than what you're facing. The hands of God are more powerful than anything that you're dealing with. The hands of God can be trusted. If they were good enough for Jesus, they are good enough for us today. Amen? So let's honor him today. Let's worship him. Let's praise him and let's celebrate 
the incredible work of God's love on the cross today. Entrust your spirit into the hands of an almighty, an all-powerful Savior.